I'm Max Gibson, and you're listening to the first episode of Fairy Visions, my podcast series about the radical fairies of Vermont. You'll find out what a radical fairy is in a minute. This project has been in the works for a while, so a lot of the stuff I talk about in this first episode is from six months ago in January when I began looking into the fairies. For example, I mentioned that I'm a college student, and I'm not a college student anymore, I just graduated. And just to clarify, because I know the word fairy might throw some people off, this is a true story about true things. So, let's jump into it. Episode 1, Fairies Are Real. (laughs) Fairies are real. This is what the internet will tell you if you look hard enough. There are Wiccans, multidimensionalists, casual internet sensationalists that will all tell you fairies exist. Fairies, some will say, come from a long-lost race of sentient beings who existed before humans dominated the earth. They fled from the brutality civilization has wrought against the natural world, and that's why we don't see them anymore. Others will tell you that most humans don't see fairies anymore because we've lost our ability to see them. Unlike ancient cultures, we've become trapped in the physical world and closed ourselves off to the mystical realms where fairies live. If we could only learn to see beyond our physical reality, we'd realize that fairies and magic are all around us. As Yvonne from Earthwitchery.com writes, Long ago, humans, quote, became less and less aware of what was hidden just beyond their physical sight, and the vision of the fairy became lost to them, end quote. I've been trying to work on my fairy vision lately. The fairies I've been trying to see and understand are actually humans, They're the Radical Fairies, a global movement of queer spiritualists that has a sanctuary near Dartmouth, where I'm a student. For the past few months, I've been talking to Radical Fairies, trying to understand their lives, their queer mission. To do this, I feel like I've had to open myself up to another version of reality, to a fairy dimension. First, I'll try to explain what the Radical Fairies are. Keep in mind that every fairy would probably have a different definition to show you, and there's a lot of diversity within the group. It's taken me a while even to get the definition this far. Here's my best shot. They're a global movement of queer spiritualists that's been around since 1979. They value communal living, the sanctity of the earth, radical political action, and a mixture of alternative spirituality. They gather regularly in rural intentional communities they call sanctuaries. At the gatherings, they have fun, cook, build things, and hold rituals. Most of them live full-time in cities or elsewhere and only come up to the sanctuaries for gatherings. But some of the sanctuaries are equipped with full-time living facilities, and some fairies live at those year-round. Fairy spirituality appropriates, and some would say misappropriates, various cultural traditions, but a few big influences come from Native American cultures and neo-paganism, The fairies I talk to are from Vermont, and their sanctuary is called Fairy Camp Destiny. Like the fairies, I'll refer to it simply as Destiny from now on. 
I started talking to the fairies in the winter, and Destiny was closed. Once the weather started getting warmer, they took me up to the land. So most of what I know about the fairies comes from the Destiny fairies, and much of what they talk about is particular to them, and not to radical fairies as a global movement, so keep that in mind. Let's jump to where this started for me. Before I ever met the fairies, I discovered them on the internet when I googled Gay Life Upper Valley and found the website for Fairy Camp Destiny. I started googling around about them after that. I don't think I became a fairy. I think I was a fairy and I either got discovered or discovered There's it. this one video that came up in that search and it's one of the first radical fairy things I ever saw. It's a cartoon with a bunch of different fairies doing voiceovers, talking about what being a fairy means to them. The cartoon itself shows a businessman walking through a mirror, flying with a green elf thing to a barn that has red slipper handles, and there's a giant bird and a maypole, and one of the last scenes in this film is just a bunch of silhouettes of guys having sex in tents. But it's still charming as a cartoon, like there are twinkles everywhere. So over these trippy visuals, there are all these fairies talking. And there's drumming going on, and people are dancing around the maypole, and there's people who are completely naked and covered with mud. The magic that that creates, the complete difference in realities, is, is every bit of what it means to go to a gathering for me. If there's some spiritual urge I have, either to jack off in the, <laughs> under a tree or uh, take a long walk in the woods, that's something very spiritual, very fairy. <clears throat> so there are all and these different kinds of drag I didn't know about, and there's sex, and there are rituals like jerking off in the woods, and the trippy visuals just make it seem more unreal, and kind of like the cartoon isn't taking itself seriously. So this cartoon was made by Eugene Salandra, who's a fairy himself, and I assumed it was trying to convey some sort of message about the fairy mentality, and definitely not trying to ridicule them. But I still didn't know what to make of it, so I dug further. The next video was not cute. It showed this radical fairy ritual performance piece in an art gallery, and it scared me a little. Just listen. Oh, oh give us this night, the club of enlightenment. You can turn it up. In the video, there's this guy, a fairy, standing shirtless in the middle of the gallery, and the lights are mostly off. And he has a three-foot-long pool noodle strapped to his crotch, and he has this colorful makeup on his face. And in each of his hands, he's holding skin-colored dildos and waving them around. And there are also two young, naked guys rolling around on the ground. And you can hear in the video, the crowd laughs at all of this, but it's still really intense. The dark music, the dark lighting, the gravity of the fairy's delivery, all of that made me uncomfortable, but the crowd loved it. I was confused. I showed it to my friends, and most of them thought it was funny, and some of them got creeped out by it. But none of these reactions were quite right. My friends, and also me, we were laughing at this guy, and some of us were just freaked out by him. But the thing is, the ritual performance and the cartoon, they do ridiculous things, but they're very serious about those ridiculous things, and they encourage the humor that comes from that. And by doing this, I think they make it impossible for you to laugh at them, because you're either laughing with them, or you're outside of the joke. I didn't know it at the time, but this attitude is a camp mentality. 
But camp as a concept, or even as a word, was totally not on my radar. A fairy had to explain it to me later on. So at that point, I was definitely still outside of the joke, which both is and isn't a joke. I struggle with this still. Before moving on, I think there's something I need to mention. There's this one radical fairy concept I came across pretty early, and it comes from Harry Hay, who some would call the founder of the fairies. Harry had this idea that people are called to the fairies. You come on your own and no one ropes you in. So I've been grappling with this throughout the process of this research. Because yes, I'm queer and I'm gay, but I feel like I'm not a fairy. But have I been called? And like, why am I making this audio documentary? And does that say something about me? These are just questions I've been thinking about. Okay, so back to my research. To get started, I'd sent a pretty identical email to a lot of the Destiny fairies, and the gist of this email was, I'm Max, I'm a Dartmouth senior, I'm interested in queer life, and I want to write about the radical fairies and fairy camp Destiny. A fairy named Cowboy, with a K, sent one of the first responses to this email, and that email made me unsure if I could ever talk to the fairies at all, or even learn more about them past these strange YouTube videos and the books I'd gotten from the library. Here's Cowboy's email, slightly abridged. I'm really conflicted about whether to talk to you or not. On one hand, it seems like you're genuinely searching for a place to fit in. On the other, it feels like you're exploiting your conversations with people to further your journalism career. I don't know how much you know about the radical fairy movement, nor if you read the piece in the New York Times about Short Mountain Sanctuary. To say that piece was controversial is an understatement. Historically, the fairies have been closed to outsiders. If you're interested in seeing if you fit into our community of loving, intelligent, artistic beings, then I'd be willing to talk with you more. But if you're only looking for a story, then I'm not interested in the publicity your writing could bring. Destiny is not another destination for gay tourists. We are a community. Love and light, cowboy. This shook me. Exploiting conversations with people to further my journalism career, that's like the exact opposite of what I want to do. And the phrase only looking for a story really bothered me because I know a story isn't just a story. What he said about the fairies being historically close to outsiders, it's not really true. This only really applies to journalists or photographers. And from what I've learned, pretty much anyone can go to a destiny gathering if they hear about it. And the first radical fairy gathering ever in 1979 was publicly advertised in dozens of magazines and newspapers. The New York Times article he mentioned about Short Mountain Sanctuary, that was published in the Times Magazine in the summer of 2015. And it's a quirky article, and mostly about the implications the sanctuary has had on local politics. And when I read it, it seemed like a colorful, if limited, view of the fairies, and I hadn't sensed anything controversial about it. But I understand the gist of what he's saying. He's trying to protect his sacred community, and anyone who wants to talk with the group should meet them on their turf. I get that. And that's what scared me the most, the fact that the fairies might close themselves off to me completely at some point, unless I somehow fooled them into thinking I wanted to become one of them, and that this whole journalism thing was just an excuse for that. So in my response to Cowboy's email, I stood my ground as a journalist, and I tried to defend myself. Basically, I said, exploiting people is exactly what I don't want to do, and it was good to know the NYT article was controversial. I told him I was looking for stories, but that I sincerely hoped they wouldn't become a form of gay tourism. 
We had some back and forth and never talked on the phone like I wanted. In the meantime, I'd contacted some other Destiny fairies, Daisy, Endora, Lanier, Mixie, who you'll hear from later. And as I engaged more with the fairies that were willing, and they were often eager, to talk to me about their lives and about the fairies, this exchange with Cowboy kind of faded into the background. And I knew I was somehow getting lucky and getting an inside look into the fairies that not many people get, but I started to take that for granted. In reality, the boundaries that Cowboy laid out in that first email and all the protections he was trying to set up around the Destiny community, those all stayed there the whole time, and I was crossing them without much concern or awareness. My audio recorder and my microphone, for people like Cowboy, these created a hostile aura out of fairy space. And I didn't really realize the extent of this until much later. A quick note about privacy. Out of respect for the fairies' privacy, and fear of another controversy like the one from the New York Times article Cowboy mentioned, when possible, I'm only going to use people's fairy names in this piece. So all fairies adopt alternate fairy names, so it's a convenient solution. And I'm also not going to be very specific about most of the locations I talk about. Most of this takes place in southern Vermont, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> I hoped most of my questions would be resolved when I met my first fairy, Daisy. This was exactly a week after I'd gotten Cowboy's email. Daisy and another fairy, Gabriel, gave me the inside perspective Cowboy denied me, but I was totally unprepared for it. And instead of enlightening me, it ended up frustrating me even more. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> You'll hear that conversation with Daisy in the next episode of Fairy Visions. You can stay up to date with this series at fairyvisions.wordpress.com. That's F-A-E-R-I-E visions at wordpress.com. I'll be trying to come out with new episodes every week. Some thanks are in order for this episode. First, thank you, Cowboy, for your email. You've heard sound from two videos in this episode, the first is Fairy Film, a cartoon documentary by Eugene Salandra. The second is a video of a radical fairy ritual performance piece by Ian McKinnon. You can find both of these on YouTube. Thank you, Eugene and Ian, for letting me use your sounds. The music in this episode comes from the Free Music Archive. The songs you heard are Harry Fairy Hataruna by Monroeville Music Center, 80s Interlude by Fanas, and The Life and Death of a Certain K. Zabriskie Patriarch by Chris Zabriskie. This podcast was produced by me, Max Gibson, and I'll talk to you next time. Until then, love and light.